This is section six of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section six, Territorial Enterprise, April third, eighteen sixty three. Territorial Enterprise, April third, eighteen sixty three, Local Column, A Distinguished Visitor. Madame Clara Kopka arrived in Virginia a few days since, and is still sojourning in the city. To many of our citizens the name will be unfamiliar, yet such is by no means the case in the hospitals and upon the battlefields of the East, where she has devoted nearly twelve months to arduous labor in tending the sick and wounded soldiers. In this service she has endured all the hardships and privations of camp life, without hope or desire of reward, and to the serious detriment of her health. She comes among us partly to satisfy a taste for travel, and partly to gather renewed vigor by a change of climate. She asked Mayor Arick for a homestead, supposing in the simplicity of her heart that the barren but beautiful landscape which surrounds Virginia was free to any who thought they could make use of it. Unfortunately, this is not the case but the Silver Terrace Company could give Madame the homestead she covets without inconveniencing themselves in the least, and we have an idea that they will consider it a pleasure to do so. Madame Kopka brings with her a bundle of letters from military officers, from brigade and subordinate surgeons in the army, from Secretary Stanton, and letters of recommendation to General Halleck, all of which speak of her in the highest terms of praise. We cannot spare room for these letters, but we publish two newspaper extracts which will answer every purpose, perhaps. The first is from a long article written by an army surgeon in the New York Home Journal of September 13th, and the other from the New York Tribune of July 5th. The Lois Ann. This claim is situated in a ravine which runs up in a northwesterly direction out of American Flat and is on the Ophir grade, about two miles and a half from Gold Hill. The ledge did not crop out, but was uncovered by a small slide in the hillside, and found by Mr. Lightford, the present superintendent, and located some four or five weeks ago. A well-timbered incline has since been sunk upon it to the depth of twenty-five feet, and work in it is still going on day and night, although a stream of water from the vein materially interferes with the operations of the men. In the bottom of the incline the ledge is about ten feet wide, has a casing of blue clay, and is well defined. A great quantity of quartz has been taken from it, which looks exactly like third or fourth class Ophir, but it won't pay to crush yet a while, although choice specimens of it have assayed as high as ninety-two dollars to the ton. We visited the mine in company with Mr. H. C. Brown and Mr. Lightford, the superintendent and we share their opinion that there is big pay-rock in it somewhere, and it is only necessary to sink a reasonable depth to find it. Such promising indications as have been found in this claim are not often discovered so near the surface. Three north extensions have been located on the Lois Ann, and shaft sunk, and the lead struck on the first and third, the character and appearance of the rock in both instances proving identical with that of the original coarse, crystallized quartz, of a porous nature, and of a dark blue color like Comstock rock. There are fourteen hundred feet in the discovery claim, 
and the property is owned principally by millmen of Gold Hill. One of the best indications about the Lois Anne is at present much the most troublesome. We refer to the stream of water which pours from the ledge. Work in the incline will have to be suspended on account of it, and a tunnel commenced from the ravine. This will be about a hundred and fifty feet long, and will tap the lead at a depth of seventy-five feet. A mill site has been taken up in the vicinity with the intention of turning the water to useful account, in case the ledge proves as excellent as it is expected it will. Another good-looking ledge lies back of the Lois Anne, and parallel with it, which belongs to the same company. There is a claim of a thousand feet in the vicinity of these leads, which is called the Zanesville, and the rock from it pays in gold from the very surface. Every pound of it is saved, and millmen who have tested it say it will yield about a hundred dollars to the ton. There is only a mere trace of silver in it. The ledge is only about two feet wide in the bottom of a shaft twelve feet deep, but is increasing in width slowly. Possibly the Zanesville may peter out and go to thunder, but there is no prospect of such a result at present. It is rich, but, as it is only a gold ledge, and is so small, we have less confidence in it than in the Lois Anne. ISLAND MILL The island mill, built on Carson River by Mr. Height of Gold Hill, is about completed now, and the machinery was set in motion yesterday to see if there was anything wrong about it. The result was satisfactory, and the island mill will go to work formally and forever next Tuesday. Gould and Curry They struck it marvelously rich in a new shaft in the Gould and Curry mine last Saturday night. We saw half a ton of native silver at the mouth of the tunnel on Tuesday, with a particle of quartz in it here and there, which could be readily distinguished without the aid of a glass. That particular half-ton will yield somewhere in the neighborhood of ten thousand dollars. We have long waited patiently for the Gould and Curry to flicker out, but we cannot discover much encouragement about this last flicker. However, it is of no consequence. It was a mere matter of curiosity, anyhow. We only wanted to see if she would, you know. THE MINSTRELS We were present at La Plata Hall about two minutes last night, and heard Sam Pride's banjo make a very excellent speech in English to the audience. The house was crowded to suffocation. Territorial Enterprise, April 12, 1863 Partial Excerpt Advice to the Unreliable on Church-Going In the first place, I must impress upon you that when you are dressing for church as a general thing you mix your perfumes too much. Your fragrance is sometimes oppressive. You saturate yourself with cologne and bergamot until you make a sort of Hamlet's ghost of yourself, and no man can decide with the first whiff whether you bring with you air from heaven or from hell. Now, rectify this matter as soon as possible. Last Sunday you smelled like a secretary to a consolidated drug store and barber shop, and you came and sat in the same pew with me. Now, don't do that again. In the next place, when you design coming to church, don't lie in bed until half-past ten o'clock, and then come in looking all swelled and torpid like a doughnut. Do reflect upon it and show some respect for your personal appearance hereafter. There is another matter also which I wish to remonstrate with you about. Generally, when the contribution box of the missionary department is passing around, you begin to look anxious and fumble in your vest pockets, as if you felt a mighty desire to put all your worldly wealth into it. 
yet when it reaches your pew you are sure to be absorbed in your prayer-book or gazing pensively out the window at far-off mountains or buried in meditation with your sinful head supported by the back of the pew before you and after the box is gone again you usually start suddenly and gaze after it with a yearning look mingled with an expression of bitter disappointment fumbling your cash again meantime as if you felt you had missed the one grand opportunity for which you had been longing all your life now to do this when you have money in your pockets is mean but i have seen you do a meaner thing i refer to your conduct last sunday when the contribution box arrived at our pew and the angry blood rises to my cheek when i remember with what gravity and sweet serenity of countenance you put in fifty cents and took out two dollars and a half territorial enterprise between april sixteenth and eighteenth eighteen sixty three horrible affair for a day or two a rumor has been floating around that five indians had been smothered to death in a tunnel back of gold hill but no one seemed to regard it in any other light than as a sensation hoax gotten up for the edification of strangers sojourning within our gates however we asked a gold hill man about it yesterday and he said there was no shadow of a jest in it that it was a dark and terrible reality he gave us the following story as being the version generally accepted in gold hill that town was electrified on sunday morning with the intelligence that a noted desperado had just murdered two virginia policemen and had fled in the general direction of gold hill shortly afterward some one arrived with the exciting news that a man had been seen to run and hide in a tunnel a mile or a mile and a half west of gold hill of course it was campbell who else would do such a thing on that particular morning of all others so a party of citizens repaired to this spot but each felt a natural delicacy about approaching an armed and desperate man in the dark and especially in such confined quarters wherefore they stopped up the mouth of the tunnel calculating to hold on to their prisoner until someone could be found whose duty would oblige him to undertake the disagreeable task of bringing forth the captive the next day a strong posse went up rolled away the stones from the mouth of the sepulchre went in and found five dead indians three men one squaw and one child who had gone in there to sleep perhaps and been smothered by the foul atmosphere after the tunnel had been closed up we still hope the story may prove a fabrication notwithstanding the positive assurances we have received that it is entirely true the intention of the citizens was good but the result was most unfortunate to shut up a murderer in a tunnel was well enough but to leave him there all night was calculated to impair his chances for a fair trial the principle was good but the application was unnecessarily hefty we have given the above story for truth we shall continue to regard it as such until it is disproven territorial enterprise april nineteenth through thirtieth eighteen sixty three local column electrical mill machinery mr william l card of silver city has invented a sort of infernal machine which is to turn quartz mills by electricity it consists of wheels and things and however we could not describe it without getting tangled mr card assures us that he can apply his invention to all the mills in silver city and work the whole lot with one powerful grove battery we believe 
and if we had galvanic sense enough to explain the arrangement properly, others would also. A patent has already been applied for. End of section 6